0: That's, that's where the name comes comes from. And they would live in those for the week as part of this celebration. So, in, in the midst of this, Jesus has had some really interesting dialogue with uh, Jews and Pharisees in the temple area. And so we've been, it's probably been the last six weeks or so that we've kind of been caught up in Jesus' interactions within this celebration, the Feast of Booze. And so Today we find Jesus leaving the temple. He's on his way out of the temple and he's going to see this man and then the rest is just this amazing story. So we're going to read this story now. Um, If you don't have a Bible uh, or on your device or physical Bible, you can follow on the screen behind me if you'd like. Uh, Some of you might want to just close your eyes too as I read this because it is an extended section of scripture and and it's a good opportunity to just kind of imagine and visualize what what did this look like what was really going on it's just a great story so i'm going to read uh john 9 beginning in verse 1 as jesus passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi which means teacher who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind and jesus answered So the man went and washed, and he came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. But others said, No, but he is like him. And the man kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is Jesus? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, Jesus put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, meaning Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And the man said, Jesus is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. "...until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews." For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And the man answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to the man, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love the man's response. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled the man, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. "'You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us?' And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found the man, he said, "'Do you believe in the Son of Man?' Which is another name for Jesus. And the man answered, "'And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?' And Jesus said to him, "'You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you.' And the man said, "'Lord, I believe,' and he worshipped Jesus.' And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. All right. Thanks for hanging with me. All through that. So, quick summary here Jesus encounters this blind man. He heals him in a very unique way, and this happened on a Sabbath. So, the Pharisees are taking issue with what Jesus has done. Multiple times they ask the healed man the, the question of who did this? What, what did he do? How did this all transpire? And then they go to his parents and they ask the parents, Is this your son? and, and try to get information from them. And after attempts to discredit Jesus, they cast this man outside of the temple, outside of their midst, and then they deride Jesus. Because he healed this man. Because he gave him sight. Something he had never had before. He loved this man, and they want to persecute him. Now, there is a ton in these 41 Verses. What we're going to do today is we're going to make three observations. We can't cover everything, but we're going to make three high-level observations of what's going on here. So the first thing, this story displays the integration of our physical and spiritual realities. And it shows how God goes about saving people. So we've talked about this throughout the Gospel of John, how it's filled with these physical examples. So the blind man, it's filled with these physical examples that are pointing to greater spiritual realities. And in this story, we see this clear progression that begins with a description of a single man's physical blindness, but Jesus ends up at the end in verse 41, he's commenting on the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. So we've got this uh, transition that's happening progression that's happening throughout these 41 verses so in verse in verse 1 we read that this man was blind from birth he's blind from birth this describes the man's reality he'd never seen anything at all he had been blind every single day of his life this was his physical reality he knew nothing else he 'd probably heard descriptions of the ocean, of how it was blue. He'd probably heard or heard the waves crash on the shoreline. He'd probably uh, touched trees and, and felt what they feel like, or heard descriptions of the strength of trees that grew out in nature, but he had never seen any of these things. And we might look at, the, at or listen to this story and look at this man and picture him in our minds and, and think that we can't understand what that's like. But the reality is the picture that Jesus is seeking to paint in this story is that all of us would be able to relate to this man in a very real and felt way. From birth, this man was physically blind. He had never seen anything just like every single person here was born spiritually blind that that we couldn't see jesus we didn't pursue jesus in and of ourselves we were born prideful and selfish insecure fearful unable to fix our condition the only way that we can see spiritually is for jesus to come to us and to heal us. And this is what we see happening between this man and Jesus. This man didn't see Jesus. He didn't walk up to Jesus. He didn't pursue him in some way. Jesus came to this man. He was blind. He didn't know Jesus was there. Maybe he heard things, but he didn't know where Jesus was. Jesus was the one who was coming to him. Jesus was the one who was finding him. He passed by, he saw the man, and he found him. So we have to highlight here, what did the man do? What did the man do? Nothing, right? He did nothing. Jesus came to the man. So Jesus comes to him. He heals the man. He gives sight where it was not. And then we see kind of this transition begin to happen from physical blindness to spiritual blindness in verses 8 and 9. We see kind of another form of blindness or maybe blindness talked about in a little bit different way. Verses 8 and 9 read, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And the man kept saying, I am the man. So in a tight-knit community, these are his neighbors. These people would have seen this man day after day. In some ways, this man would also be a public figure because the only way that he could support himself was to go in a public place and to beg people for money this is how he supported himself and and he could make a pretty good living by doing that and so what we see going on here is people who clearly would have known him saw him day in and day out begin to question is it really him we've seen this man we know this man we know his name we know his family story we know that he has been blind from birth but now we're starting to question is it really him and so what we see going on here is that their denial is beginning to point somewhere else to another type of blindness. So the Jews, they're disbelieving this man, the man who was healed, until his parents, they go to his parents, and the parents affirm that it is their son. He was blind. But, but the Jews continue to disbelieve Jesus in the way that Jesus revealed himself to them as he has continually revealed himself to them they accuse jesus and this man who has been healed of sinning and so jesus is going to get to the heart of the matter in verse 41 so we're going to skip all the way to the end here in verse 41 admittedly uh just on surface level it's kind of hard to understand like what what is really What's Jesus really meaning here? What's he really saying? So I'm going to kind of paraphrase uh, what Jesus is saying in verse 41. As he talks to these Pharisees, he's saying, if you acknowledged your spiritual blindness, if you would acknowledge that you need help, that, that you can't fix yourselves, that, that you don't lack guilt, that, that you do struggle with sin in some capacity then you would know that you're spiritually blind but they don't they think that they are not spiritually blind they think that they have things figured out they know who jesus is they understand what's going on with him since you think you can see and and what jesus is meaning by them thinking they can see is he's he's saying because you think that you can follow the law sufficient, sufficiently, because you think that morally you are impeccable, that you can do enough on your own, you are proving that your guilt remains. And so Jesus is coming full circle here. He's moved from the physical blindness of the man to now the spiritual blindness of the jews so we've got to press this on ourselves a little bit it's it's easy to look at the jews and say oh they can't figure it out they need to get their stuff together but for us in our context today for us as individuals it's entirely too easy for us to think that because our physical sight works well because we can see colors we can see shapes we can perceive things that we can see spiritual realities just fine as well at times we might but not always this is part of the reason why jesus gives us the church so that we're not on on our own so that people can speak into our lives so we care a lot about the bible here we preach the bible every single week we typically walk through books of the bible But the reality is all of us at times can assume that we know what it says. We can can think that ah I understand kind of general concepts about what the Bible is saying. The big picture of what is really going on. But the reality is none of us know it flawlessly. We all can grow up into understanding the Bible. We all need to grow up in the Gospel. This is why we preach it Every week, why we encourage you guys individually to read it in community uh, settings to read it together. We need to know the Bible, and and when I mean the Bible, we need to know Jesus. We need to know how He has revealed Himself. We need to let Him have sway in our lives, so that He is the one who's able to shape us. Because the reality is, all of us go off the rails. All of us, every single day, probably before we got here, 50 times for me, right? Going off the rails, and, and I need the correction. I need to have my eyes fixed on Jesus to be brought back. This is what life is about. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. And so I need to have this recalibration happening over and over. So we do want to be Bible people because we want to be Jesus people. And this is the way in which we get the greatest revelation of who Jesus is, is in and through His Word. And in the Bible, we see this picture of salvation over and over and over. Jesus does not wait for us to come to Him. He doesn't leave us on an island and say, figure it out, I'm waiting here with my margarita, and you can come enjoy with me when you get to me. No, he comes to us. He pursues us. We are the ones who are blind, who do not know where he is, and so he comes to us. And, and we, we can know here that there's this progression of moving from physical to spiritual here, that it's what Jesus is doing is not merely trying to give a man sight, okay? He talks in Matthew, I think maybe in Mark as well, this verse is, he says, if your sight causes you to stumble, if your, if your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. Figuratively, he's saying. Get rid of them, of whatever it is that causes you to sin. More important than us seeing physically is us seeing Spiritually, So we have to see this progression that's happening here. Jesus, in this story and all through the Bible, there's this movement from physical to spiritual. We don't want the physical to inform the spiritual. We want our, our spiritual reality to inform our physical reality. All right, number two. We see God's glory and his kindness in the midst of sin and suffering. So at the beginning of this story, verses 1 through 3, there's this great exchange uh, between Jesus and his disciples. So the disciples see this blind man and then they ask in verse 2, they ask this question of Jesus. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Which I think is a great question, but I think it's probably a question many of us would not ask. But, but we learn a little bit about their thinking in them asking this question. First century, there's this view that there has to be a sin that leads to somebody's suffering. Suffering indicates that someone has sin. And this makes sense, okay? If we think about the context of the Jewish people in the first century, these are people who have lived in a law-based system their whole lives. So God has come to his people. He rescued them out of Egypt. He formed his people in this way, and what he does to his people is he says, here are my commands. Follow them, and this is how I will bless you. Disobey my commands, and this is how I will curse you. So this is law-based, okay? We see it all throughout the Bible, but, but that's not Christianity. Christianity keeps Moving, what, what I've described so far is Judaism. But we see this in other world religions as well, right? Like think about karma, right? You, you do something bad to somebody, you're going to get it back at another time, right? That, it's the same idea, that law-based system. You think about the five pillars of Islam, if, if you're familiar. There's basically, uh, Muslims have five pillars, and, and the call is for them to do those really well really consistently and the hope is at the end of their lives that they've done them done them consistently enough they've done them well enough but but there's always this idea in the back of their minds have i have i done enough will god be pleased with me and and it's this motivation by guilt like do more do more climb that ladder higher impress me enough perform better but that is not the gospel that is not what jesus is doing jesus is coming to fulfill the law it says in in matthew he's not coming to abolish the law he's coming to fulfill the law and in fulfilling it he is setting it aside and he's ushering in a new covenant when i say covenant i'm just saying this is a this is how god relates to people This is how he relates to people. So he's ushering in a new way by which uh, he is going to relate to his people, and that is through grace. It's through grace. Now, when we look at these Jews, uh, we look at these disciples who are asking this question, who sinned? Uh, I think we should see ourselves in that to an extent. So we're like these Jews in that we oftentimes will still live under the law. I think our our hearts are hardwired to live in a law-based system. That's why why grace, that's why the gospel is offensive to people. And so we're just hardwired to live in this way. I think this question is a type of question that many of us would hesitate to ask. But I'm guessing this question, who sinned to lead to this suffering, that all of us have probably wondered about this question from time to time in our lives. When, when people have pregnancy complications, when people go through death, seasons where, where they encounter death or sickness, when someone loses a job or doesn't get the job that they might be looking for, when, when marriage is not what they thought it would be, Have you guys ever wondered or asked yourself in the back of your mind, what did I do that caused me to deserve this? Ask God, what sin did I commit that causes me to have to endure this? What sin has led to my suffering? And, And the reality is, I know that some of us live with deeper regret in this. We battled this in really personal ways. So what I want to do is just take a couple minutes and speak to this pastorally. So first of all, I want to look at Jesus' answer. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So what we can see really clearly here is that this man's suffering is not the result of someone's sin he's not suffering because someone sinned now we have to qualify this and say jesus is speaking to a specific instance he's not making a universal statement but in this case he is saying someone's sin did not lead to this man's this man's condition okay if you guys have ever read in the book of Job, like this is what the book of Job is all about. It's a great illustration of this. So in this case, sin did not leave, lead to this man's suffering. But we also know that sin does lead to suffering at times. I mean, this is all over the Bible. Uh, so we can read it in the Bible. I'll give you an instance from my life recently so recently i was having a conversation with one of my children who will remain nameless um and we were we were walking through a discipline instance okay so they had been disobeying and we were trying to have a conversation and in the midst of trying to start this conversation there was just kind of belligerence yelling at me and just continual talking uh, disrespect it was just kind of going on and on so we we sat on the couch and i said all right i don't want you to say anything else just keep your mouth closed please put your eyes on my eyes i want you to listen to what i have to say and the response to my very clear request was a large gasp and a flailing back on the couch. And in that instance, uh, as the head flailed back, it smacked a board on our couch, that it was hit at just the right angle, where the discipline instance now turned into me caring for this child, because they hurt themselves pretty substantially. And so, but it's a great illustration They did not want to obey me at all. And they were going to the hilt to resist me until they hurt themselves significantly. Sin does lead to suffering. This does happen. Now, there is that reality. Some of us also probably need to acknowledge uh, our sin we are sinning against people, that we are hurting them in some way. Or some of us might be being sinned against, and we need to press into that with those who are sinning against us to let them know that this is what this is doing to me. This is how I am being affected by this. So sin leads to suffering, but not all suffering is a result of someone's specific sin. Okay. Amidst all of this, it's so important that we remember God's nature. Who is God? God sent His Son to earth to die on a cross for His enemies who have sinned against Him. So, God does not inflict suffering on us to get back at us. Okay? God does not inflict suffering on us to get back at us. To view God in this light is to disbelieve the cross. It is to believe that we suffer in some sense so that we would atone for our sins. No! That is not the gospel. God suffered for us, for our sins. We do not pay for our sin. He pays for our sin. God does not make us pay for our sin. So part of what I'm trying to distinguish here is we don't pay for our sin in a salvific way, but God does discipline those that he loves. So Hebrews 12:6 reads, "For the Lord disciplines the one he loves." And and oftentimes I think we focus on in this verse the discipline. He will discipline. Okay. But he's disciplining the one that he loves. Proverbs 3:12, "The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. God disciplines those that he loves, those that he delights in. Not to get back at us. He disciplines because he loves us. Discipline is discipling. Discipling is all about correction, about restoration, about Love, about help, about caring for someone. Discipline is not about condemning someone, about taking out anger or exacting revenge on somebody. It's about restoring relationship. And this is what God does. I regularly, when I discipline my kids, I try to regularly remind them of this. And I'm preaching to myself as I say these things because the tendency when they are continuously disobeying me is for me to get angry okay so i need to hear this as well but i try and remind them continuously daddy's not mad at you right now daddy is not trying to be mean to you i do not enjoy doing this in any way but i love you i want what's best for you and you treating people in this way, you doing this thing is hurting you. And it's hurting others. And I want better for you. And, and in this way, I'm trying to glimpse to my kids, God, albeit imperfectly. And I fail regularly. But I want them to see what Tim Keller says. God's fatherly love means absolute safety. Absolute safety. He will neither neglect nor abuse. God does not neglect nor abuse. Do you have this picture of God? That he is not trying to hunt you down to whack you. He loves his children. He delights in them. He wants to restore Relationship, And that is why he pursues people. So this man's suffering is not a result of sin. But rather, it is to display the works of God. That's what we read in verse 3. This is profound. You think about this. When was the last time that you went through something hard? That you suffered and in the midst of it, you had this expectant attitude that God was going to do something. He was going to work something good on your behalf through this thing. I mean, speaking for myself, my tendency is to get me out of this as soon as possible and to be totally fixated on that, to, to totally be blind to what God can do through this. Now, it's not wrong to desire Escape from suffering. We pray for that. We desire that. But even more than that, we should desire for God to work good in us. This is the promise of Romans 8:28. We were singing this earlier that in all things God works good for those who love Him. In all things, not just the good, in all things. That means every single thing. He promises. God promises to work good for those who love him the idea in this is nothing is wasted do you realize that to live as a christian nothing in your life is wasted god wants to work all things for your good we have to hear the promise in jesus words here god's works are good and he works great things in unexpected places now some might look at this situation and just object what what's god doing like this dude had to live all these years blind really he had to go through that so that god could display his goodness and his glory in that way is it really worth it but if you step back from this and you think about this you think about this from this man's perspective. He understands physical blindness, right? He understands what it is to live life without sight. He understands what it is to be in need, to depend on others for help so that he can live and survive. He understands that. And now, as he's healed, he understands the goodness of Jesus' work, right? In a way that maybe you and I don't understand. He gets it. So he might be the one who kind of calls us back and say, no, this is for my good. I mean, when when I suffered a stroke at 19, I didn't look at that and say, man, that was for my good. I hated God. But now, looking back at that, I wouldn't want to change that. That is God's kindness to me. That is his grace that took me from that path I was walking down where I thought I could accomplish and I could get what I really was looking for aside from God. And I never would have found it. I never would have found what I was looking for. So as we look at Jesus here, we look at the work that he is doing, the intention is that we would see his work. We would be amazed at what he has done, and then we would worship we would celebrate his goodness and his kindness. And this segues into our last point here. Jesus works in ways that confounds humanity. We see this in a number of ways throughout this story. We see it in the unexpectedness that this man's blindness was not because of sin, but it was to display God's good works looking at that at the surface like we might not see that as good but the ways in which jesus chooses to work will confound us we also see it in the way jesus heals the man he spits on the ground he makes mud and he puts it on the man's eyes like we should acknowledge jesus jesus could just speak words and the man would be healed but he doesn't he does it in this way but he doesn't stop there then he instructs the man to go and to wash in silo why i don't know i don't know why exactly like we could guess and we could read some things in there but this is the means by which jesus chooses to do it and and one thing i do think that we see here is how jesus graciously includes others in his work So Jesus could have just done this all himself, right? He could say, see. The man could see. But he involves this man in his work of healing. The man doesn't heal himself, but he has a part in it. Now, this could be dangerous, right? Because the man could be like, look what I did, right? I went and washed, and now... I'm healed or he could go back to wherever jesus spit on the ground and he could like go buy a bunch of little glass flasks or something spit on the ground and like pack them with mud or something start selling them right and try and make some money off of this but i think in this we see jesus grace that he allows us to be part of his work he he's called me to be a pastor me if you knew me what a joke, but yet he uses me. He calls you guys to be part of his work. He, he wants to use you in significant ways so that the gospel would advance in the lives of those around you, in your spheres of influence. This is his kindness to us. We also see Jesus working in confounding ways by the healed man's neighbors being confounded by the fact that he's healed so much so that they they don't believe that the man is even him right and i think this gives us a picture of what happens when jesus pursues us and he saves us he radically changes us he transforms us we also see this the jews and the pharisees keep asking for descriptions of jesus and how he healed the man. The Jews and the Pharisees cannot believe that this actually happened. They cannot believe that this man had been blind until the parents eventually affirm it. The man's parents acknowledge that it is their son, but they have no idea how it could be. They're like, ask him. We have no clue how this all went down. Some people in the story believe that Jesus is evil, for working on the sabbath for healing somebody on a day that people should be resting others inquire how jesus could how he could actually heal if he's not sent from god and so we we see this division people are confounded by the work that jesus is doing for all of us life circumstances will confound us they will confuse us from time to time. We might not see how or why or where God is leading in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartbreak. But to follow Jesus means that life will not work out the way that we have planned it. To follow Jesus means we'll have to give up some of our dreams. We'll have to let go of some of our plans. He has a course for our lives that's mapped out in a different way than than we would map things out. And, And if we never feel this, like we should just hit pause. Why? Why do I always get to call the shots? Why do I never feel the pinch or rarely feel the pinch of Jesus moving me in this way. Life is hard. and We'll feel the pain. We'll walk through suffering. But in the midst of all of this, God is good. He works good. He desires our good in and through everything. Though it might confound us, It's not confounding Him. As we were singing earlier, He's over all of that. He's over all of it. He holds it in His hands. And so He he calls us to commit ourselves to trust in Him for us to rest in His cosmic sovereign hands. So, three points of gospel application for us this morning. First of all, Behold the glory of Jesus. Behold the glory of Jesus. I think this is so interesting. Jesus healed a man, right? There was a man who had never seen anything. And Jesus gave him sight. And what is the conversation throughout this story? It devolves into this discussion of technicalities, of rule-keeping, an investigation of what Jesus has done wrong. Of how the man is giving false testimony. Seriously? Really? This is what it, what it devolves into? I mean, this poor brother over here is probably like, come on, somebody take me out for a milkshake at McDonald's at least, right? Like, let's, let's have a party. I can see some kind of celebration somebody give me a little love right but nothing nothing at all for us admire marvel celebrate what jesus has done appreciate what he has done in your lives step back and reflect this is who i was this is who i am this is how I am unfaithful. This is how Jesus is faithful to me. Jesus pursues the blind. He pursues those who have been cast out. And look at this contrast. This is Jesus pursuing the blind, pursuing those who are cast out. What are the Jews and Pharisees doing? They're shaming people. They're casting people out. Do you see that? massive contrast what love is found in jesus you will not find a greater love than what we see in jesus that is what he calls us to remember to reflect on to treasure jesus love for us is like nothing else in this world behold the glory of jesus And then secondly, hear the explicit call to believe in Jesus as he revealed himself. And then trust that he is good. Verse 35, he comes to the man and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in Jesus? This is a great question for us. Every day throughout each day as we live not just one time when maybe we became a christian but every day do you believe in jesus today and if so what does that look like what does it look like for you to trust in jesus today what does it look like for you to not trust in jesus today trust in jesus so look at what he's done behold his glory and then believe Believe in Him. And then, as you behold what He's done, as you believe Him, share what Jesus has done in your life. Tell your story, the ways in which He's proven Himself faithful in everyday words, okay, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, over good drinks, over good meals, over the hobbies that you share with people, with Christians, with non-Christians. Share what Jesus has has done and is doing in your life listen to this if you are a christian if you are a christian you have experienced a miracle a miracle a supernatural miracle you were blind but now you see tell people about what jesus has done to give you sight. Don't cave into fear like the healed man's parents. Yes, some people might not like to listen to what you have to say. I think it'll be rare. Honestly, I think it'll be rare. But most importantly, focus on who really does love you. Care most about Jesus. He is the one who loves you perfectly, flawlessly, without end. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you chase after spiritually blind people like me, like us, and you give sight. In our blindness, we will walk into treachery. We will walk into danger. We will walk into scenarios that will harm us as Satan seeks to deceive us and to destroy us. But Jesus, you run into the dark. You overwhelm the dark with your light, the light of the world. This is a great picture of what you do with blindness. You drive out the darkness of blindness and you give sight to the blind. You let us see things as you've created them to be. So Jesus, I pray that for Center Church. I pray that we would understand who you've created us to be, who you are calling us to be, the infinite joy that you desire for us amidst a world filled with despair and sadness. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your Hope because we see your glory, we see your goodness, we're able to behold that, and it ravishes our hearts, it destroys the hardness in our hearts, and it causes us to treasure you, the one who loves us beyond anyone or anything. Help us to put our roots down deep in you as we sing about your grace and about your goodness now. Give us visions of grandeur of yourself, of the goodness of your grace. Capture our hearts, Jesus, in these moments. So as we walk out of here, we don't need to wonder, are we measuring up? Our faith doesn't depend on on how big or great it might be. Our faith depends on who it's in. And so help our faith to be in Jesus. Jesus be everything, absolutely everything to us today and all the days of our lives. In your great name I pray, amen. You guys stand with us as we sing songs of response. If anyone would like to observe the Lord's Supper in the back, I want to invite you guys to do that uh, during this worship set.